Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Views on View. I'm your host, Lindsay Wardell. With me today is Steve Edwards. Hello from sunny Portland. I know. It's our first real day of spring, isn't it? Is it? Well, yeah, it's supposed to be really nice this week. Yesterday was pretty nice. I was outside watching my son play tennis, and it was a little breezy and cool, but it was, it was still nice. Nice. And special guest today is Solomon Seme. Welcome, Solomon. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm pleased to be here. When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire, they're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Solomon, would you mind introducing yourself for those who aren't aware of you? All right. Like I said, my name is Solomon Esema. I'm from Nigeria. That's in West Africa. So first of all, I am a software developer and also a technical writer. So you do both software development and the technical writing. What do you do for the, the technical writing side before we get into the software development? Okay. Technical writing, I sometimes just try to pull out my idea. If I'm creating a software and I notice a problem that I solved, I just write about it. But aside from that, I also do technical writing. Should I say full-time where I got a job? Like you know, I joined a company, write their technical guides, write their step-by-step documentations and stuff like that. So I also do that. And then I also do content marketing, right? So where I talk about SEO, I do SEO part of the website. I also try to come up with um, content that is marketable, something like copywriting, okay? Nice. So when, this is how I'm putting it in my head at least, when when we talk about full stack developer, typically we're just talking writing code on either the server or in the client. When I When I hear what you're describing, it sounds like full stack in this case extends into a lot more branches, not just programming. Yeah. Does that, uh, does that sound me, accurate? <laughs> yeah, it's accurate for me. I do a lot. Like I can, I can go on and on and list them all out. You know, aside from just building softwares, writing program and stuff, I also know and I also do the marketing part of that particular software that I, I create. For example, I you can you know build a software and then you need to market that software that you've created. So I can come in as a content marketer, all right? And then mm-hmm. I would be able to, to develop content, which you can say blog posts, for example, or develop blog posts for that particular product. You know, I would try to make sure that your blog is of standard, first of all. You know, it has on-page SEO, it has off-page SEO, and a lot of other things that would contribute to, you know, making your um, website rank first of all on Google so that, you know, you can basically have organic traffic down to your site, which can then convert into 
you know, leads and then convert into um, customers. So all this journey, I can actually do them aside from <laughs> aside from coding or creating software. I think that's definitely an important skill. I, I think there are many developers out there who successfully build a side project and then just don't even know how to market themselves. <laughs> and and just understanding SEO itself is is a very difficult field. So that's awesome that you're able to do that full time. Yeah, thanks. So on the on the programming side, I believe you you're actually we'll we'll kind of do back and forth. So you have a website called masteringbackend.com, is that correct? Yes, yes. So what brought you into programming? And I'm I'm assuming you started on the back end since that's what your website is called. But what what brought you into programming? What inspired you to pursue that as a career path? Okay. The full story and nothing but the full story. <laughs> First of all, when I was growing up, I had no access to computers. I was just in in class. We call it secondary school here. So like it's the school you go before high school or before university. Mm. Secondary school here. You know, so I was in class and there's this computer teacher that we had, which he was introducing computers to us in, in class and he talked a lot about Microsoft Word, a lot about Excel and stuff. So since then I picked interest. Then after my high after my high school, I moved down to a computer training center where I, I got trained on different aspects of the computer and I know how to operate and stuff. But then when I got to the university, I noticed my mates, like my course mates, were into programming, you know, with writing. HTML, CSS, and you know, displaying them on their browser, and it was looking very cool. So I picked interest first of all. Now, the interest I picked wasn't for any job, or I didn't want any job. I just wanted to be able to do something, preview it on the screen, and it works perfectly. So I built on that. And as I noticed, as you know, time passes, I noticed that I wasn't very, very good with the design part of the entire thing. I was good with the logical part, which is back-end development as of now. Sounds like me. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to switch down to the back-end part where I learned Java. I moved down to learning PHP and then now JavaScript. Okay, so that's basically my journey and what got me into programming. It was first of all from my school where I see people doing it and I wanted to do it myself. Yeah. Awesome. What you mentioned that you used a couple different languages for the back end and you started with Java. What inspired you to move from Java to PHP? Oh, the transition. First of all, I learned Java based off from school. In my school, they taught us Java. So you, you have to learn it to pass your exams. <laughs> that makes sense. Then for PHP, it's simply because here in my country, for you to, back then, I don't know of now, but back then, for you to actually get a job, or for you to get paid to do something, it has to be PHP because there were there was more jobs on that area on PHP than JavaScript. You know? And also WordPress was very, very popular here to build uh, custom uh, websites and stuff. So people here or companies here basically need developers that will customize their plugins and customize their teams. So in in this area was the, the area that really got me to PHP because it was more here than, let's say, having a job in JavaScript or even Java. Because Java mainly here, we Java is done on the enterprise level. 
you know, companies like banks, companies like oil companies will make use of Java here. But PHP, it's, should I say, very popular and it's for startups. You know, any company can just, you know, employ you to do PHP for them without, you know, lots of betting on you. Yeah, I think Steve can uh, attest to PHP being a good choice for a startup considering where he works right now. Uh, well, yeah, for us, it, it's worked. You know, everybody's going to have, I, you know, like anything else, it's going to depend on your needs and what technology meets your needs. But from a framework standpoint, yeah, Laravel is, is pretty popular and, and well-supported for, uh, for, for using as a back-end framework. Yeah. Speaking of Laravel, Solomon, since you started with WordPress, it sounds like, what when did you learn about Laravel? What made you make that switch? Okay, I can't really remember the year, but if I check through my GitHub, I will see my first commit on Laravel. Now, the reason why I launched Laravel, it's very simple. There was a project that a friend wanted me to work on. You know, he knew that I, I can write PHP, but he doesn't know that I don't know Laravel. <laughs> okay, so he just handed over a project to me that he wants to, to be built on Laravel. And said, Solomon, I want you to build this, but I want it on Laravel. And then before that, before that time, I have already, you know, knew about Laravel, but I don't do it. I basically write raw PHP. I even created my own mini framework that I use on my PHP project. So when he gave me the project, I just quickly, you know, signed up for a course by is it Harry Diaz or something like that? And then that course really taught me about Laravel. From there, with that course, I was able to, you know, just transit and do the project safely. But it was a lot of, <laughs> a lot of stress because something you don't know and you're learning it to build the project, you know. So that's how I basically transit from my normal core PHP to Laravel by simply building the project. I think in many ways, that's the best way to learn a framework. I, I've had a similar experience with both Laravel and Java, where I needed to learn them for a specific project that was in front of me, which definitely acts as an inspiration when you're when you're needing to learn it. Right? Yeah, it can be very stressful, but I think it's the, it's the best way to learn. Yeah. Did you pick up Vue while you were learning Laravel, or did that come later? Yeah, so this is a, fun, a funny one. This is how it happens, actually. <laughs> so I launched Laravel, yeah, and I built one project with it, two, three, and stuff. So the front end part of these projects were handled by some other person, or some of them were handled by me, but I was basically using um, Blade, the Blade template of Laravel. Mm -hmm. and then I had this project that needs me to do the front end, but then I need to do it with Vue. To be very sincere, I I hate front end. Like I don't like front end development. <laughs> but with this project in front of me, I cannot say no, right? So I have to learn Vue. And one important thing about about the whole process is that when I looked at Vue documentation, it was very very similar to what I have been doing. Like if, if you look at the way it is structured, we have HTML somewhere, we have you know style, and then we have the, the script, okay? So these are basically separated, just like the normal way that we write front end, or the normal way that we write HTML, CSS, and scripts, okay? So that alone made it very simple for me to understand the structure of view. 
Okay. So from there, I was able to just, I don't know, just put in some style, right? My different style and then put it in anyhow, get the HTML parts, put that up anyhow. And the script part was basically done by somebody else because back, back then I don't really know JavaScript that much. Okay. And so I was able to build one project, which, which was not cool. If you look at the project, somebody has to, like a QA, has to get the project, rewrite it and stuff before it was able to go live. But from there, I learned Vue and it was sweet for me. It was very simple. So I continued with it. Were you ever interested in learning one of the other front-end frameworks like React or Angular or was was Vue really where you felt the most comfortable? And okay, till so now I have not for once installed React before, so I don't even know how it looks like, including Angular. So, like I said, I'm not I'm not really a front end person. Vue is just something that I can resonate with. I just move along with it. But right now, because of the way the JSX is, you know. When I looked at JSX in React, it's similar to the JSX in Vue, if anybody wants to use JSX in Vue, all right? And also this Vue 3 has composition API, which it's not similar, but if you look at it, it's going to that way of React. So it's, it's going to be very simple for me to switch between React and Vue, you know, if I want to, or if there's any project in front of me again. That makes sense. I, I had a similar reaction to reaction. I had a similar reaction to React when I when I first was learning front end frameworks. I, I also started with the back end. And when I was looking at React, it it didn't make sense. It didn't click. It wasn't something that was that was really working with how I was trying to envision the application. But when I started with Vue, like you were saying, the it breaks up in a similar way that you would already write standard web page where you have scripts and HTML and JavaScript or CSS, and it just worked in a way that made sense with my brain. Of course. Well, that's cool. So you you tend to stay in the back end, but you do break into the front every once in a while. Is what it sounds like. Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Like if I'm if I'm building my side project, I basically write the the front end myself. Because the mastering backend is on Noxjs, so I did that myself. Profiley is also on Noxjs, so I did that myself. Most of my, should I say startup? No, 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 not startup yet. <laughs> Most of my side projects, I do them myself with you. How do you, b- before we dive into our next topic, how do you feel about Nuxt compared to using PHP or Laravel? Okay, one important reason why I use Nuxt is SSR. So if there's no SSR, I'll just move down to view straight up, all right? So I cannot use Nox for, for me, I cannot use Nox for a high intense backend application. It's possible it can be done because yeah, you just separate the API and stuff. But I prefer my backend lives in, in Laravel or Node.js entirely compared to combining it with Nox.js and the front end. Yeah, Laravel's got what is it, Eloquent for accessing the database, and then just a whole bunch of nice features that Next just doesn't come with because that's not its focus, right? Yeah, Eloquent is the ORM, it's the data modeling. It's like I, I think the the comparable for Node is something like Mongoose. 
that just yeah handles all your modeling and then you build your queries and, and call your data models from your controllers uh, but yeah eloquent is your is your orm if that's how you want to do it yeah steve is right there i i can actually install mongoose with Node.js and just build out my my backend with Node.js. but for me I, I don't just like it that way because i feel i feel that Node.js is for front end no matter how you know the SSR stuff that is built into it can make us want to write our back end there. I just like to focus Nox on the front end and make it do my SSR for me than you know putting my entire back end onto Nox. Yeah, for, for me when I use Nuxt, I, I do something similar. I worked on a previous project where Nuxt was served up in the front end, and then we had a back end service that Nuxt would connect to which was nice because then we we could pass everything through a gateway. And from the client side, it looked like we were always hitting the same endpoints, the same URL, didn't have to worry about cores or anything. But on the back end, in this case, we were using uh, Java Spring Boot. And we were able to have all of the, the more detailed logic in a different language and a different framework that was more designed for that, rather than piecing together something like Nuxt and Express and Mongoose and all of that. Yeah, that, that would make sense. Cool. All right, let's dive into our next topic now. So Solomon, on your blog, you have a number of articles, and I highly recommend everyone go and check them out. There's a whole bunch here about Laravel, and uh, there's some MongoDB, there's TypeScript. In particular today, we're going to be talking about blog post you did on building a real-time chat application with Vue 3 and Socket.io and Node.js. So that's going to be our main topic for today. And Solomon, I'm just curious before we begin, what inspired you to look into this? Is Was there a particular reason that you felt this was something you wanted to write? Or is it just, I feel like playing with Socket.io and this seems like a cool way to do it. And maybe we should talk about what Socket.io is first for any any listeners who, who don't know what that li- library is yet. Okay, uh, that's fine. I realize I just threw a lot at you, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My inspiration for writing the article. Okay, first of all, I, I had an article on socket.io, you know, the entire same thing, but not with Vue 3. Yeah. So the reason why I wrote that first one was simply because I wanted to create a chat app. Now, I wanted to use this chat app to learn Vue.js, just, you know, those to do app that people normally do when they are learning uh, something. So I wanted mine to be a chat app. <laughs> you know, I didn't really know how to go about it, but I knew that it must be done. So I started digging into the net, looking for how to create something like that. So I also saw tutorials that recommended I should use uh, socket.io, which I did. And yes, I created the app and I wanted to write about it because the tutorials that I was looking at were not complete. It helped, but it wasn't complete for me. You know, so I wanted to write something complete from A to you know, like the Z of how you can create a very, very simple chat app. And that's the reason why I wrote that first article. Now, for the second article that included view three, it's just like I'm upgrading the content. I didn't want to just go change everything and confuse the users. You know, so I wanted to create something new 
And then this time I had a more experience because I joined a company in Saudi Arabia who was creating, I don't know, a, a live customer chat app on their mobile mobile phone, like on their mobile app. You know, so they read my article, one of the one of the developers there read my article and contacted me that they are having this challenge that they could not get this to pass through to the socket and stuff like that. Uh, I was able to help them, but then I learned something from their code base. This time, they are not just, you know, sending the chats and returning back the response, just like the way socket would do it. But this time, once they send in a message, the message would store in the database and from the database now come directly to like respond back to the user. Okay, so that was fascinating because in my previous article, there was no database installed. I did not use any database to create the app or to create the chats application. So I went back, included every feature that I saw on that project, included it in this new content or in this new chat app that I built, decided to write about it just like an upgrade to the previous one that I've written before. So I included database. I also included view three, which as of that time, when I wrote the article, I haven't learned view three. I was just you know, waiting for it. So I decided to use that also, that chat up to learn view three and see how I can, you know, and see how I can go about it. And it worked out very fine. So I decided to write about it because I know that there's someone out there that might need it or might be struggling to build a real-time chat app that has database and that is done with view three. That's really cool that you know you. We, we often talk about writing blog posts and it really we're learning for ourselves when when we're writing, but we always have that hope that someone's going to read our blog post and it's going to help them with their job. And you actually got to experience that. That's really cool. Yeah, the experience was like it was it was mind blowing for me that somebody in a company could read my blog post contacted me to help their company, you know, get their charts, their live customer chat functionality working. Man, that was, <laughs> that was good. That was good feeling. <laughs> I bet. That must have felt awesome. <laughs> cool. So just real quick for those listening, let's, let's talk about what socket.io is and what it provides. Since we're talking about a real-time chat app, I think it kind of, should make sense to people, but let's let's just be safe. Could you describe what Socket.io does for you? Okay, aside from real-time chat app, you know, Socket.io could be very useful when you're building real-time applications. Now, what I mean is, you know, you notice on dashboard, like if you visit some dashboard and once you click on something, like let's say update the user, you see the user updated immediately, you know, maybe somewhere that you are displaying the user without even refreshing your page, you know. So something like that is, is can be done with socket.io. So it's, it's like a bi-directional event-based communication where you send a request or where you try to communicate with your server and your server immediately returns back a response to you without you trying to refresh the page. Okay, so, and it, because it uses WebSockets rather than HTTP requests, I as the client can send a request to the server and the server can also send a request to me, which is what makes it real time, right? Yeah, sure. 
Cool. So, so it's basically like an open channel between the front and the back ends, correct? Yeah, correct. That seems very powerful. I know I've, I've personally used it a bit. I often refer to the fact that I, I test technologies by making games. I was making a, a multiplayer game that was meant to be played on a, on a network. And I used socket.io to pass uh, messages between the, the different players. Okay. And there's, there's definitely a lot of potential there for socket.io to do a whole bunch of things. Yeah, a whole bunch. Anytime you think about real time, you don't want somebody to refresh your page. You just want to see the updates immediately. And you need to think about socket.io. Awesome. So what was the experience like integrating? And, and this I know this applies to both V2 and V3, but what was the experience integrating socket.io with a view front end? Just what was your experience working with that? It's basically, for me, it wasn't very tedious. Yeah, because... With Java, when I was working with Java, I have this experience working with sockets, you know, working with HTTP, uh, TCP and UDP sockets. So I basically know a lot about networking on programming level, not the real networking. <laughs> okay, so it wasn't it, it wasn't very very difficult for me to understand. So one thing I just had to know is that okay, there will be a client for. My, my client side, like my view part, and then there will also be another one for the server, which would, you know, entail the communication. So once I have that in mind, I just, you know, uh, downloaded the client for my server and also downloaded one for the client side, which is the view part, presentation on how to communicate with each of them. Okay, so it wasn't, it wasn't a very long learning curve for me because I already have experience with um, these different networking. That's definitely helpful. Yeah. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. So I'm curious, do you, when you're integrating socket.io with view itself are you what's it like integrating it with the the life cycle or are you integrating with vuex directly what's what's your preferred pattern for getting socket io to work with view okay i'm going to explain this in two parts because the article is actually in two parts so that you know just to foster more understanding now for the first article that i wrote i did not use much of the vuex okay because it was just a bidirectional communication once somebody typed something and wants to send it to, you know, like want to chat, you click on your send button, it goes straight to the server, and then the server broadcasts that particular message back to everyone. Okay. So once it does that, I just capture the message, store it in Vuex, and you know, display it on, on the board, like on the chat board, which basically I just sets the text. Okay, but on the view three part, the article that I wrote about using it on view three, this time it has database, you know, so they have to be more serious um, security, you know, consciousness on this one now. So what I did here is once you send a message, it goes to the server, the server stores the message on the database, yeah, and then broadcasts it back to the client. And then this time, Socket.io has a way to restrict the message from coming to you that sent the message, right? So I just 
broadcast the message back to the clients and then store it in UX, first of all, and then display it on, on the components. So this, this is the flow that I use. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And because you're using Vuex to, to store the data in your local or in the client side, you don't have to worry as much about the lifecycle hooks because you can just invoke dispatches and commits off of the uh, off of the Vuex store that's been generated. Does that sound right? Yes, that's perfect. Yeah, that sounds like a really great way to go go at it. I think when I was playing with Socket.io, I tended to put the events in the created hook, or not the created hook, the created lifecycle on components. And then from there, either pass things into Vuex or into just the data attribute. But you know that was early in my career, and not sure that's what I would do today. I really like the pattern of using Vuex. Yeah, the same thing also happened to you know when you look at the, my first article that I wrote. Basically, what I did was to create <laughs> was to create an object in the data, you know, the data attribute of your component. So I create messages objects there and then store in all the messages and they just display all of them on your on the board like on the chat board <laughs> but that's basically that's a wrong approach actually so you need to store it in your uh, UX and then display it from there it also helps with your your specific case of building a, a chat tool where you might be needing to go between pages because if you're storing your let's say you're using Nux and you need to navigate between pages, all of your, your chat would be lost unless it's in a higher high enough component or something like Vuex, which is global, so that you don't lose data as you're going between uh, different pages and you can just keep your chat right there where it's supposed to be. Yeah, that's perfect. Cool. Since you were doing the rewrite between Vue 2 and Vue 3, were there any interesting pieces that you noticed while using Vue 3 that either caught you off guard or were things were just not as you expected them to be when you were making that upgrade, as it were? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's composition API was was a big problem for me. I had to <laughs> I had to learn every part of React that I hit and just to make it work. So composition API was one of the things that threw me off guard. But right now, yeah. Since the article is live, so definitely it's 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 good now. So I am conversant with that now. But composition API was just my problem back then. Yeah, I for me the composition API makes some sense just because I have that React experience and I can compare it to hooks. But then if I do that too much, nothing works in Vue because it's not React hooks. And that doesn't make <laughs> sense. You have to think about it as Vue, but it kind of looks that way. But it's it's definitely a, a learning curve to to get from what we've been using to using these new function methods to get everything working. Have you been able to play with the composition API much yet, Steve? That's a negative. I've uh, been so buried in U2 and Laravel that I haven't had too much time to play with U3 yet. I've seen videos on it, if that counts, but uh, I haven't been able to actually play with it myself yet. Gotta go try it. I know. I know this great blog post where you can build a, a chat app and it uses. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Sounds familiar. Yeah, I'll check it out. <laughs> yeah, Steve. This was exactly me. You know, all the hype, all the videos and tutorials about the composition API that were out. I never watched anyone, <laughs> except when I wanted to write a tutorial 
building um what was that about building a ticketing system with the composition API to build a full-blown application. That was when I, I learned the real composition API. <laughs> Yeah, I've been doing some blog posting about the the composition API, and that's really how I've been trying to learn it. I, I definitely love that idea of writing as I'm learning to to try and both solidify my understanding of the topic, but also share it with people. And who knows, maybe there'll be a company that reads it and uh, is able to benefit. Yeah, of course. Well, awesome. Solomon, I happen to know as well, moving away from the the blog post at this point, that you have a very interesting upcoming project. You mentioned it earlier. I believe it's called Profiling. Would you be interested in talking about that a little bit? Yeah, thanks for that. Profiling, it's a side project, basically. But this is what it does. Like, let me just give you the, the brief, you know, shall I say, uh, marketing, <laughs> marketing world about it. Now, what it does is very simple. I am a programmer, I am a software developer, yeah? but at the same time, I am trying to build a personal brand for myself, like by writing and you know, by working on projects. But then most of the time, companies, when you want to apply for a job, companies are basically going to look through your profile online you know, to see who they want to employ. Yeah? So they will scan through Facebook, look at your name, look at your profile. They will also scan through Twitter. They will scan through these different social media. Okay? So it was very, very, um, or it is very, very wrong for you to not have a consistent data across these different social media platforms. Take, for example, you search my name, Solomon SMA, and on my Facebook, you are seeing different things. You are seeing different pictures. On my Twitter, you're seeing different taglines, you know, different biography, and then you're seeing different pictures. Across these different social media, you're seeing different things about me. You know, that is going to leave the employer, you know, the HR person is going to leave the person wondering who this person really is. So most of the time, what we would do is to go to these different social media manually and try to update everything one after the other. But Profiley is simply here to help you automate this process. Because it takes time to go to like 20 different social media and update your profile, update your picture and stuff like that. So Profile is going to help you update these different social media just in one place. Like you log into Profile, fill out your information, click on updates, and then it updates in 20 social media. That's simply what Profile is all about. As somebody that has at least a few different social media pages. I think that sounds really cool. Part of the reason I don't update my profile picture often on on various places is that I have to then go and, or at least I feel obligated to go and update it on every single page and try and keep everything up to date so I'm displaying the same presence on all of these different platforms. I think it'd be really cool to have a tool like this that, that could help with that. Yeah, so I had a problem with this. That's why I'm actually building products. I think that's... I mean, that's a great way to, to find things to build as well. It's just, you're, you're having a personal problem with it. It's, it's time to solve that problem. I'm a developer. I'm going to build it. <laughs> yeah. So initially, actually, if you look at my profile, like type my name, Solomon SM on, on Google, then you're going to see a whole lot of different things, you know. So I had a problem, you know, when a recruiter reached out to me and wanted to know who I am. We talked, and the person wanted to know who I am. So the person doesn't have to ask me. 
you know, because I am in this part of the world, you don't really have to ask me because you think I'm lying, actually. So you have to go dig into my social media, look at what I've posted, look at, you know, the different information about me. And if they do not match or if they do not correlate together, and you think otherwise. So I had this personal problem and I wanted to solve it myself, you know, using profiling. That's awesome. I, I look forward to trying it out once it's ready. I, I went to the homepage. Uh, you put that in our notes and I, I took a look and I'm very excited to see how it progresses as things go along. Oh well, yeah, thanks. Oh, cool. Solomon, is there anything else you would like to talk about before we move on to picks? Hmm, let me see, let me see. Yeah, I just didn't add. If you go to the homepage of Profiley right now, it says, you know, join the waiting list. Now, if you join the waiting list, you are going to get one year free access to Profiley once it's up. It's about 80% ready. So once it's live or once it's launched and you are on the waiting list, you're going to have free one year access to it. Just to add also, we are also building more tools on it. For example, um, uh, you know about uh, brand mentions? You know, how do you, if you are a brand or if you're a personal brand, how do you know if somebody actually mentions you in Facebook? You know, somebody somewhere was writing a blog post or was writing, you know, a status update and mentioned your brand. So how do you know that? You know, so we are going to build a product that is going to analyze all these different brand mentions and then show you where they are and the percentages of them all. So there are many other tools that will be built into Profiley. It's not just Profile Update. There will be tools such as you know publishing your post to different social media, which is existing fine, but we're going to try to refine and bring up more ideas about that. So yeah, that's it. So I hope awesome. to see you guys on the waiting list. Yeah, that's... <laughs> That's really cool. And I, I love that you've already got plans for how to grow it once you get the the core piece down. So like I said, yeah. very excited. This, look, this looks really cool. Awesome. Hey, folks. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit. And you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. At this point, we will move on to picks. Uh, picks are the part of the show where we share things we like with the dev community. It doesn't have to be programming related. Solomon, I'll let you take a break since you've been talking most of this time. And I'll pick on Steve first. Uh, Steve, do you have a pick for us today? Well, yes, I do. Thank you for asking. Let's see. We'll start out with the uh, dad joke of the day or the week, as the case may be. Hold on. Hold on. I'm, I'm unmuted. I will laugh. <laughs> well, only laugh if you're really going to. Force laugh. Yeah, I know. Is, I know. Is, is it good? Is it good? And this comes from my good buddy, Stand Up T-Rex. Uh, I asked my Spanish colleague if he could include me on an email. He replied, 
CC. So, <laughs> what's CC? Carbon copy. <laughs> Carbon copy and C means yes in Spanish. And then secondly, I have my other pick is a website. Uh, and a little backstory: I was my wife and I were in a group of friends, and and one of our friends was discussing a movie they had watched and how his son, who's eighteen doesn't like to see movies where a dog gets hurt or a dog dies for some reason. And so my friend, always having his laptop on hand, did some quick Google searching, does the dog die, and comes up with a website called doesthedogdie.com. And it's really quite interesting. And basically what it is is sort of a crowdsourced uh, site where you can put in list movies or podcasts or TV shows or whatever where something happens. And so the... The tagline on the front of the website is crowdsourced emotional spoilers for movies, TVs, books, and mores. So there's like 70 different categories of dogs dying or gaslighting or cats dying or <laughs> you name it. And so, for instance, if you go to, uh, oh, see, a dog dies, there are bugs, there are snakes, there's a dead animal, there are spiders, a dragon dies, there's a dragon dies, believe it or not. And so, and then if you go into the particular category, there's different little cards there that have the movie and a description of, you know, what happened to the particular animal. So it's uh, quite entertaining just to sort of scroll through here and see all the different categories and the different references to whatever categories. So it's doesthedogdie.com. That is an excellent name for a website, especially for the topic. Solomon, do you have a pick for us today? Uh, okay, uh, I... It, it's okay to promote yourself as well, by the way. <laughs> that is what's known as a shameless plug, so yes. Yes. <laughs> For me, I would just prefer talking a lot about programming, all the different types. Like, okay, let's deal into, let's talk about back-end development. Why am I excited about it, you know? Then I, I don't know how to give jokes, <laughs> but I know how to laugh, actually. Okay. Yeah, yeah, what I'm good at actually is to talk about programming more. You know, like let's just discuss. Like um, Steve, you, I heard Lindsay said you do more of Laravel. You know, so like, can you tell me like you're one of the best exciting projects you worked on on Laravel? You know, something like that. Oh me, I'm actually pretty new to it and just came into it by way of the job, my new job that I started in November. And there's a Views on View podcast from fairly recently where we talked about it uh, in length and how we use it in an enterprise application. Interestingly enough, I've been starting to use it on another little side project that I've had going for a number of years. And I've, this will be my third attempt at it, <laughs> using different tools and different, uh, different combinations, different stacks. And it's just a, a little shift scheduling application for my uh, the volunteers at my fire department uh, because the site that we currently use is old and held together by string and band-aids and glue, I think, and paper clips. And so I initially started out using AngularJS with uh, Form.io, and then I switched over to Vue and Form.io, but I didn't, it worked fairly well, but I still didn't have as much control over my back end as I would have liked. And so now my next stack is Laravel with MySQL and Vue on the front end, but I'm using a combination of Laravel Jetstream, which uses Inertia.js. 
Uh, I was going to try just inertia by itself, but since you can spin up a Laravel app with Jet, uh, Jetstream app with inertia already enabled and set up, then it's really a pretty sweet little stack. And then you just start, uh, you just need to create your your Laravel controllers and and migrations and and models and you know all the standard stuff, and then create your view components on the front end, and you're ready to rock. Yeah, that's the power of uh, Laravel eight. But though Laravel eight actually comes with a lot of confusing technologies. For me, <laughs> I feel like they should have just left it where it was. You know, in Laravel eight, you have Jetstream, you have a Breeze. You have, um, there's one again, Sanctum for APIs. A whole lot of separations. And, yeah, um, Fortify, I think, is the back end that they all sit on that handles the, uh, the user, I believe the user authentication stuff. So yeah, it's, there's definitely a lot more to learn, that's for sure, and I've been taking my time trying to learn about them. But at the same time, once you understand what's underneath each stack, then you know it becomes a little easier. I was really confused with Jetstream, but once I dug into the documentation, and combine that with the inertia documentation, then it all started to make a, a little more sense. Oh, great. So I will just throw in this question in case anybody wants to you know, answer it in the comments. Now I have a project that is basically, should I say separated from Laravel? So the view part of it is separate it's somewhere on different server. You know, so I have confusion choosing these packages, choosing Laravel Jetstream, and something for the API. I'm building, I'm building an API for the Laravel part. You know, so there's a way this Laravel Sanctum, there's let me let me actually look through it. Laravel Sanctum comes with two ways you can authenticate your, your application. So I'm a little bit confused on which particular one to use based on my use case. I'm trying to look, <laughs> I'm trying to look through it. So so we have the API token authentication, and then we have the SPA authentication, yeah? So which one to use if your application is separate, if your application is hosted in a different, sorry, if your front-end application, that's what I mean, is hosted in a different server, and your back-end is hosted on a different server. Which one do you use if you are using Laravel Santium? Which one do you use? between API token authentication and SPA authentication. So I've been battling with these and I'm trying to get opinion. All right. We will make sure that that question goes out on Twitter when this episode airs and we can have a discussion all together. All right. Looking, for, lo looking forward to the community's responses on that one. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Yeah. Thank you. So my pick today, I'm, I'm going to do a shameless plug. I've been so busy with work recently that I haven't had time to find things that are just non-tech related and not something I've done myself. So I will share something I've done myself again. Recently, like I mentioned, I've been writing blog posts about Vue 3 in the Composition API. One of them was recently put up on the uh, this.labs website. It is called Vue 3 Composition API Ref and Reactive. And we dive into what the ref composition method is and reactive and how they are not this or that, they're actually meant to be used together and how to easily use them together in your applications. So feel free to go take a look at that. We'll make sure the link is in the show notes. I'm Solomon. At it right now. Yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. What were you saying? I said, I'm looking at it right now. Awesome. So Solomon, 
since we mentioned that we're going to have a conversation on Twitter, where can people find you on Twitter to have this conversation? Okay, it's Kapaski Guru. I think that right. Great. We will get that into the show notes as well. Thank you so much. And thank you again for coming on to the episode today. It was great talking with you, uh, discussing Socket.io, View 3, Laravel, your journey into programming. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This, this is actually the best day for a long time. Like, this is the first time coming to a podcast. Like, <laughs> oh, well, you did great. <laughs> so, like, I was skeptical. Like, yeah. I was scared. Let me use that word. <laughs> yeah. You're doing fine. And I hope everyone out there enjoyed this episode as well. Uh, you can find us on viewsonview.com or at devchat.tv. You can find us on Twitter at viewsonview. You can find myself on Twitter at Lindsay K. Wardell. You can find Steve on Twitter at Wonder95. I hope you have a good day and we'll see you again next week. Adios. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.